This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame, so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Join us as we discuss the debate surrounding the proposed designation of the term profound autism in the DSM and its potential impact to the autistic community. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back, and this is our final episode Final episode of season four. Today we're going to be talking about profound autism, which many of you may or may not have heard of because it is not yet a thing, but it may be. It could be, in the future. <laughs> right. If you haven't heard about it yet, The Lancet recently published a special report. I think this was by like The Lancet Commission Clinical Research in Autism. And the report basically introduced the term profound autism, which has now been taken by a storm in in terms of the fact that everybody on the internet is talking about it now. You will see a lot of people on social media posting questions and talking about profound autism, what it is. It was a term that was proposed to describe people who are likely to require a high level of support and that this high level of support would be needed for their entire lives. So this would be people who we would consider now on the quote unquote lower functioning end of the spectrum or the high support needs end of the spectrum. So they specifically are targeting those who basically need 24-7 care, those who cannot advocate for themselves or speak up for themselves. And these would be the ones who are minimally verbal or non-verbal. Essentially, what they were saying is we feel like there is a need to create, I guess, this identifier or this designated term in the DSM. And the DSM is basically the Bible for diagnosing mental illnesses and disabilities and things like that. Currently, the DSM switched to basically our most recent one, removing Asperger's. So they combined all Asperger's and I think it was like PDD, PPD NOS. I always forget the letters in that one. I can't remember the (laughs) order of the letters. Yes. Um, But they basically took out all these different ones that they had before and combined them all into autism spectrum disorder. So right now with the current DSM, if you fall under any of those categories, you by default get an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. And what they're saying is that basically they kind of want to revert back to what we had, except instead of going to Asperger's for those who are on the higher functioning end, they want to add the label of profound autism for those who are on the lower functioning end. 
So that's basically the debate here. A lot of parents that I've seen on the internet are staunch advocates for this because they see it as a way to be able to get their children the more support than what they're getting right now because of, you know, all these long wait lists and therapies and everything. But there's a lot of other people who are kind of against it for other reasons in the sense that it's kind of doing the same thing that the label Asperger's had done before. Right. So I guess the question is, I mean, this kind of ties in, I think, to kind of the insurance companies. If this kind of kicks off as far as how would they perceive profound autism versus, I guess, what would they what would they call the other version of autism? Just autism or not even? My biggest concern is the insurance companies. I understand completely where this argument is coming from with profound autism in that there's a lot of parents who have children who do need this intensive 24-7 care. And the lifespan of those children or those adult children who are on that side of the spectrum does not tend to be as long as those who are on the higher functioning end. There tend to be more issues with like self-injurious behaviors. There tend to be more problems with accessibility, like they tend to need more accessibility devices, communication devices, and things like that. So I understand that those on the higher support needs need more support. And so that makes sense to me. My concern, though, is not about not allowing them access to those supports. My concern is more about how we go about getting them access to those supports. My biggest fear would essentially be that if we do designate profound autism in the new DSM, insurance companies tend to play kind of like... Well, they um, want to turn a profit. Yeah, yeah, like... Their business. They kind of play dirty. And so my concern is that if we put the higher functioning autistic kiddos or mid to higher functioning autistic kiddos, which comprises anywhere between like 60 to 80% of autistic diagnoses, that they would then lose access to the therapies because once you say this is profound autism, this is like, quote unquote, serious autism, the insurance companies would see that as all these other types of autism aren't serious. Therefore, they don't require any therapies. They don't require any coverage. We're going to be like, sorry, unless you have profound autism, we don't feel like you need this therapy. And I'm really concerned about that because it's not like that's an accurate assessment. The insurance companies probably don't even really believe that, but they're going to say it just to try to make a buck or two. Well, even the situation that we ran into with our oldest daughter, she needed physical therapy. So she was going through the physical therapist. And I think because of the institution we were going through, they only allowed for like, what, 12 or 16 sessions before they basically said, oh, okay, your time is up because it was what, rehabilitative? So she basically had to go to physical therapy directly due to the fact that she's autistic because she she has- couldn't walk. Right. No, she literally couldn't walk. She She couldn't even crawl. She'd take a step and then fall, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so she's also hypotonic. And these are comorbidities with autism spectrum disorder. These are directly due to the fact that she has autism. And our physical therapist clinic was not a designated autism center. It was just a normal pediatric clinic. And because of that, we were not allowed to have anything beyond the 12 sessions because they basically were like, no, even though she needs this therapy, even though we have doctors telling us that she needs this and she was referred, and even though she has the diagnosis of autism, because it is not done in the proper way, like they're not going to offer her or allow her to have that therapy. And that basically was a big deal because this is basically saying she's not allowed to learn how to walk. Right. She's able to work with our services up to 12 or 16 sessions. And then from there, it's kind of like best of luck to you. So my fear is I understand with the center that she was going through for that. But what's to say that like an insurance company can't do the same thing, basically? 
treat it very similar where you have limited sessions unless they fall under this new category. And I mean, we still could have put her in the physical therapy, but they were telling us your insurance wouldn't kick in. Yeah, we'd have to pay out of pocket. you'd be paying hundreds of dollars per per hour just for the services. I mean, unless you're making tons and tons of money, I mean, you can't fund that just, I mean. Oh, yeah. That would be financially just impossible. Devastating, right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think of all the other families that would also be devastated because, I mean, similar to us, your child can't walk, your your child can't speak. There are so many struggles that they could potentially have. And if it's such a limited window, if that's even offered through the insurance companies, it's a great disservice to all those kids. That's the thing. Like my biggest beef with that is I actually had a, an online discussion with somebody. I, I'm calling it a discussion. It was more of an argument. It was basically like this person was telling me that because my child had a high IQ, because my child, my eldest daughter, she is a genius. Like she taught herself to read at two. She can do basic math at four. Like she knows all the planets of the solar system, the characteristics of them, everything. She's really, really smart, but she lacks in all these other areas. And one of those areas was, for example, an inability to walk, an inability to feed herself. Like she couldn't even hold a spoon. And these are the things that she was going to therapy for. And the person was telling me that just because she has a high IQ, that automatically basically kicks her out of the quote unquote lower functioning category because she has a high IQ. And so this person was essentially telling me like, well, just because she has a high IQ, she doesn't deserve any of these therapies because there's other kids who need it more. And I feel like that's not really fair because we're basically saying if somebody is blessed to have a high IQ, then that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if they can't eat. It doesn't matter if they can't walk. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they can't talk. None of that matters because they have a high IQ, which automatically disqualifies them from being on a lower functioning end. And I feel like that's a huge disservice to a huge chunk, which again, the number was like 60 to 80% of autistic diagnoses. Well, the other thing is it also divides up the community at large because you're no longer advocating for autism resources. You're basically othering the other side, basically saying like, oh, your your child isn't as severe as mine. Therefore, you should not have any services whatsoever and best of luck to you, but I'm going to take, take everything. And it's not a, I want to take everything. It's like, let's work together to find more resources, more funding. We can advocate together that, hey, there isn't being enough done. We need more resources for our kids together. Yeah, I feel like the approach here is not the best one. I agree with the reasoning behind the approach. So I do agree that a lot of autistic people are being left behind. I feel like there's not enough support out there. I've read lots of stories of parents who've had no other choice but to just like abandon their child in like a church or something like that in hopes that somebody could give them the help that they need. There's been parents who've dropped their kids off in the ER and just left and they basically are like, I don't know what else to do. I can't get Medicaid. I can't get any assistance. I can't get a nurse. Like I can't get anything to help them with their self-injurious behavior. They're like violent. I don't know what to do. This is my last resort to make sure that they're in a safe place where they're not going to hurt themselves. And I understand that desperation. I can totally see how that is a big issue. And this is something that definitely needs to be addressed. I also feel like we definitely need to fight for those children's right and or adults because they may be even adults who are living with their parents at that point. The way to address that is not by othering people who don't fall into that category. Because I think the natural consequence of implementing profound autism is that what we're going to do is essentially take resources from those who don't classify as profound autism to then give it to only those who classify as profound autism. 
And while I think that the people who are under that category will be happy and will definitely benefit from that, I think it's at the expense of those who are no longer going to qualify for that. And I don't feel like that's essentially fair. I also don't feel like that's a considerate way to go about this. I think that there has to be a better way where we can tackle this and get everybody the help they need. Right. And we don't believe that it should go the other way either, where, oh, we should be Um, Like our kids should have all the services that we're requesting and no wait lists or any of that. And the other side shouldn't get any service. Like we're we're not saying that either. It all depends on, I guess, your outward perspective as far as almost kind of a sense of humanity, like finding like a common goal, a common struggle, a home that you kind of work with one another. And I think honestly, that's what the autism diagnosis did. It gave everybody in that category a common ground of something that we can all advocate for together. Like if you're on the higher needs or lower needs end, we are all on this spectrum here and we're fighting for this right to have the treatment that you deserve, the accommodations that you deserve, the humanity and respect that you deserve. I guess the perspective is either an outreaching one where kind of like like you, okay, we started kind of the autism wish trying to provide any type of knowledge or tips or anything we can to anyone who's willing to listen. <laughs> um, or it could be kind of an inward focus where it's kind of like, I want all resource, everything. I guess I like the approach where try and help your fellow man versus just kind of taking whatever you're able to get. Yeah. And but at the same time, like I can I can understand that urge because when we first got our children's diagnoses, the first instinct that I had as a mother was, what can I do? What are all the things I can do to try to help them out? What are the therapies I can get them? What are the grants I can get them? Every single combination, everything that I could find to help my child because I need them to live as comfortable as a, of a life as possible. I need them to be able to live as independently as they possibly can, as happy as they possibly can. So as like a mother, we naturally and instinctively want to fight for our children to have access to all the things that their peers have access to. So I totally understand that. And I don't disagree with that at all. I just think about like, at what cost? That's the thing that lingers in my mind. It's like, at what cost are we basically advocating for some of these things? Is the cost of that, that we have to take the piece of bread from the other kid to feed this kid? And I just feel like that's where I feel like there's a little bit of a immoral black and white grayness fuzziness for me because I don't feel like we should take the bread from one kid to feed another. If we were saying, well, this kid's hungrier, so therefore I have the right to take this bread from the other kid who's less hungry, who's still hungry, but less hungry, take that bread and then give it to my kid who's hungrier. And to me, I'm like, well, that's still immoral. You're still taking bread from a hungry kid to feed your own kid. Why can't we just find a way to bake more bread? Why can't we find a way to grow more wheat? Why can't we find a way to produce more grain? That's what I think real advocacy is supposed to aim towards. Right. And I mean, I think of kind of the discussion we had, what was it, the IRL? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I forget her name. Is, uh, Summer? No, was it that the, one? No, the, uh, the uh, wagon. Oh, Adele. Adele, Adele. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think back to the, the discussion you had with her where she kind of shifted over and trying to do more good for the community as well, kind of opening up or starting as a DME to kind of get these products out to help these families who are struggling. So I mean, kind of pushing a little bit further and I think kind of putting in an extra effort. Yeah. So while you are in kind of a rough patch, kind of saying, okay, how can I possibly get everything I need for my kid? There are these resources kind of out there. You just have to kind of find them. Yeah. And then, I mean, look what we did. Like We struggled to find resources for our kid, which to me, 
This is another indicator as to why I'm not a huge fan of the whole profound autism thing. And again, it's not because of the meaning and intention behind it. I 100% agree with that. It's because I have a really, really strong suspicion of how insurance companies are going to spin this. And I don't trust insurance companies. I don't think they have our kids' best intent in mind. I think they just have money in mind. And because that is often the case, I think they're just going to take this as an opportunity to basically be like, well, this 80% of the population doesn't need any accommodations then. They don't need us to cover their therapies. They no longer have autism, essentially, because they're they're not under that umbrella. Therefore, okay, sure, they, they might have other delays, but it doesn't fall under that category. Therefore... It could be something else that they're struggling with. Yeah. And you see that with other disabilities that are like other developmental disabilities. You see that with things like ADHD or other things that might be more severe because there are cases that are really quite severe that do hinder your ability to succeed or pursue life as an individual because it handicaps you so much. And, you know, those are disabilities that essentially get neglected by insurance companies. You can't really do much for them. And like, that's my concern is that people basically be like, oh, if you are not considered profound autistic, then you're basically in the same category as like ADHD or OCD. And we already have people talking about this because of that MRS study that came out recently, where they were showing about the brain activity of those with quote unquote, higher functioning autism and showing how they tend to have a pattern that's similar to ADHD or OCD, as opposed to those with lower functioning autism. And so that's like a big red flag to me as I I see the pieces of the puzzle being put together here and I see them coming up with this profound autism and then they come up with this study that's like, oh, look, this brain isn't even like autism. It's more like ADHD and OCD. But guess what? ADHD and OCD is not accommodated. Like it barely is in schools, but you don't get any insurance coverage for any of that. And the therapy needs aren't just going to disappear because you change the label. Right. In schools, it might be, okay, you get extended testing time. Okay, we won't put you next to a window. And that's that base. I mean, that's basically, I mean, what they're obligated to necessarily do because at the end of the day, okay, you don't have any type of medical label. So right. why, why, are, why does it fall to us then? Right, exactly. And like, that's, that's basically my fear. The insurance companies that we've had to work with have been so sneaky about trying everything to make sure that our kids don't get coverage. So I've just been kind of sensitive about that issue because I worry about kids who are going to fall through the cracks. And I do understand that there's already kids falling through the cracks, especially on the other end. But I I feel like there has to be a way where we could come together as a community. I really, really, really think that the better solution would be that all of us together, united under the same cause, all of us are fighting for our kids to have the same thing. We all want our kids to have a higher quality of life. We all want our kids to be able to be healthy and happy. We want the best for our children. And I think that that's completely the same across the entire spectrum. So I feel like if we can just join forces and continue to advocate and see if we can get more legislation pushed, see if we can get more care available for our children, or maybe fight for our insurance companies to not put all these limitations, like these are the things that I think we should be advocating for instead. Well, even, I mean, now we're finding out that even the number of uh, children diagnosed with autism has increased from what, six months, a year ago? Yeah. I mean, so now, I mean, it's, I mean. One in 44 now, I think. And that's what I was going to say. And the last that I thought it was like one in 55 or something. something. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, so with a bigger number that are getting this diagnosis, it should start to become more commonplace, more, I mean, discussions hopefully will start popping up. I mean, obviously 
as far as types of advocating for that. Hopefully we can kind of get more funding and such for that. But since, I mean, research is still being done, I mean, who knows what kind of the future holds there. I see kind of the opposite happening, though. I see insurance companies being like, oh, man, this is a trend where everybody's getting diagnosed every year. The number's going up, up, up. This is going to make our bill so expensive. We're going to have to find a way to trim the fat. We're going to have to find a way to get rid of some of these. And I think that that's why I'm a little bit concerned about this, because I just feel like insurance companies are going to see that. They're going to see the trend of more and more people being diagnosed. And they're going to be like, okay, we can't afford to give all these people the therapy that they need. What can we do to cut some people out? And I feel like that's one of the things they'll do. They'll be like, oh, okay, well, if we say that there's profound autism, and that makes up between like 18 to 40 something percent of the autistic population, then we can just cover that. And that'll cut our net loss by like 50%. And then they're just going to cut those people off. I'm not saying I have a magic ball, like I can't see the future, but that's just kind of like my fear and concern based off of what insurance companies have done in the past. Right. (laughs) So with that being said, I'm not sure how to, I mean. Proceed. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, I guess we'll have to see how things go in the next year or two and see if they're shifting more in that direction. And I mean. Yeah. In the meantime, we're just kind of like sitting and observing and right. seeing what well, happens. Well, there's nothing, I mean, there's not a whole lot. You, I mean, we can advocate and such, but I mean, besides that, you're kind of at the mercy of all these larger corporations a little bit. That's where I feel like we can make a change. That's why things don't happen because there aren't more people that are joining forces. And instead of all of us, you know, joining forces on the internet, which many of us do, how many Facebook pages do you see that are autism parents that have like 20,000 members, if just a fraction of those 20,000 people joined forces and showed up, I feel like we could make an impact. So I think it's just a matter of trying to stop the infighting and figure out that, hey, we're all on the same page here, we're all on the same team, and we're all fighting for the same thing. I think the infighting is kind of one of the things that hurts us because we focus more on othering each other for what level our kid is on rather than focusing on the things that we have in common and the fact that we primarily actually have more in common than we have different. If we as parents and as a society and as autism advocates just joined forces and saw the good and the things that we had in common and directed our frustration towards the people who can change things for us rather than towards each other, I think we'd be able to make a lot more impact. While you were talking, I had the image of, okay, so a mountain and a bear chasing two people and kind of the idea <laughs> that you, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the person next to you. Kind of like you trip the person. Yes, let's not Right. That. And that's what, as you were talking, I was like, <laughs> the oh, bear's yeah, the insurance the, company. Right. <laughs> no, but I had that image in my mind. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess it's kind of similar to that. Don't, don't trip your fellow neighbor just to save your own skin, essentially. That's, I mean, that's a perfect metaphor. That's essentially what is happening right now in the autistic community. And that's like my concern. It's like we're tripping each other because we don't want to get eaten by the bear. But we don't realize like if we join forces, we could probably come up with a plan. And I just feel like everybody's so busy just being like, I don't want to be the one who loses services that we kind of lose the bigger picture and realize, hey, we don't need just the scraps of these services. These are just like scraps. We need to work on forming a cohesive base that we can get a meal of service. Like these kids need more than scraps. That's pretty much our thoughts on this. I know that this is a very touchy topic with many people right now because it is very recent in the news. And I don't know if you've seen anything in the dad's group 
talking not, about not it at all? Really, not no, really. There hasn't been much conversation on it. So, really? No, it's been pretty quiet. That's interesting. I <laughs> guess the moms I, I are all out, fired up. <laughs> I find out through you, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, the moms are really fired up about it. And again, I, I totally understand. I just feel like we've got to find a way to work on this together. I think we need to join forces rather than, you know, tear each other down. No, I agree. I think that's a great, I mean, great way to end. And with that said, this is our final episode of season four. Thanks for sticking it out with us. Yeah. (laughs) Especially this season has been tough because it's all been about work that we got to do. And I know that's not the funnest thing to talk about. But I really appreciate you guys sticking around. And if you haven't yet, please go to our Facebook page at Autism Wish and check out our IRL videos. We have a video streaming series that we do where we interview people in the autism community. And you can see those there. We will include some audio in these series too, but those will always be delayed when they're in here. You can catch them live if you follow our Facebook page at Autism Wish. Also, if you haven't already, join our email list. If you go to our website, www.autismwish.org, go to the homepage and scroll down to the middle of the page, submit your email address there, particularly if you're somebody in the United States. We have our United States-based gifting program, and we send announcements for when those gifting opportunities open for kiddos. So if you want to know about that, just join us there. And we will come back soon with a new New season. season. Yes. (laughs) So thanks again for joining us. All right, bye. Bye. In summary, we discussed how profound autism is a proposed designation with the aim to bring appropriate care and interventions to those who will likely need 24-7 care for the rest of their lives. While we empathize and agree that more needs to be done to help those with high support needs, we also know that dividing the spectrum and designating the profound autism label may have an adverse impact on the remaining 60 to 80% of the autistic population who would not be considered profoundly autistic. Instead, we know a better course of action could be to join forces together and advocate for more supports across the spectrum rather than picking and choosing the most deserving. Tune in next week as we bring you the audio from another episode of our new video series, Embracing Autism IRL. In this episode, we meet with Kate Salade, an autistic adult and ABA practitioner, as well as the owner of Behavioral Foundation Centers, to discuss her unique perspective on this controversial topic. In this interview, we discuss questions such as, what exactly is ABA therapy? What should parents who are on the fence about ABA consider? What's something you think people misunderstand about ABA therapy? And what do you feel, if any, is the biggest challenge you face as an autistic adult and ABA practitioner? This is Embracing Autism.